Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about leading people onward in their Jesus journey. Good morning. Merry Christmas. So uh, I am going to, we're going to pause our uh, journey through the book of Acts for a minute. Um, we're going to take a look at uh, Luke 2 this morning. Um, so today and then Christmas Eve and then maybe even January 1st, we're going to just pause and, and look at sort of some of the Christmas themes. And then we'll be back to the book of Acts January 8th, right back here. Okay, so, um, but here's what I want to open up. Um, I have been in my own personal journey wrestling with the concept of joy. Joy. Okay. So, and one of the things, Abby and I, were, we write a Christmas card most years, um, and the last number of years in our life have been hard for a number of different reasons, and we've tended to, you know, sort of hope through the darkness, hope at the end of the tunnel, that's kind of, you know, hope, there's a, a hope, with, you know, at the, the, at the dawn, um, those are, have sort of been our, our kind of themes, and we both looked at each other this year and said, we really feel like we are supposed to park in joy. So I've been even wrestling with, Lord, how is it that we arrive or get to? But the fruit of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy. Okay, and I, you know, joy. You should. We could probably define happiness as like a um, an emotion based on circumstances or what's going on in our lives. But joy to me is almost like this heavenly, otherworldly word. It's like something deep welling up from within you that is irrespective of any of your human circumstances. You follow me? So what's interesting is we're about to read Luke 2, and we're going to see how Mary and Joseph show up at Bethlehem. There's no room, so she goes and places Christ in a little baby in a manger, so they're in this stable. Um, and then we're going we're gonna, to, the scene's going to switch, and we'll read it here in just a second. But then we're going to all of a sudden be out with a group of people who are living in the fields, and they're the group of shepherds. And actually, the angels are about to say to them, good tidings of, we'll say that again, great joy, great joy. So here's what I want to invite you into with me this morning. I'm going to be um, authentic and vulnerable on a few points, but why in the world did God pick shepherds to show up to first? And why of all the people that he could have selected to show up and come and participate in the actual birth of King Jesus in Bethlehem, the only people who showed up um, actually at the live birth right there were the Shepherds. The wise men probably came a year later or some months later. They didn't show up on that first night. But it indicates that the shepherds were the only one who were there the first night. So that's the question. Why shepherds? And then why are the angels saying great joy? And we're going to see if we can kind of meander through this and see if the Holy Spirit won't reveal something profound to us. Yeah? Oh, it's going to be good. Here we go. Okay, so let's start reading. Um, and then we'll pause and I'm going to share a story and... We'll open this thing up. I'm in Luke 2. I'm going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while uh, Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. 
So, verse 4, Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. That's important. We're not getting into it today, but that is important. Bethlehem's about five miles outside of Jerusalem, if you're a geography person. Um, Because he, Joseph, belonged to the house and line of David, also very important. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. So are they married? No. No. And was expecting a child. I wonder if there was some shame around that issue. Some misunderstanding. Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, a feed basket for animals because there was no guest room available for them. There's so much there we could preach on. We're going to keep going. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Okay, let's pause here, and let's see if we can dig this out. Lord Jesus, would you help us? Would you bring revelation to your word here? Would you enliven us and fill us with your spirit more powerfully and fully today? Okay. Why shepherds? He could have invited the Pharisees. They were the religious people, right? He could have invited all the Levites, who were actually the, um, the people who participated in all the offerings at the temple. They looked good, sounded good, smelled good, right? Who else could he have invited? Townspeople? Shop owners? Farmers? Carpenters, stone workers. You invited anybody. Why shepherds? So if, let's go back and read this verse again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Have you ever been out and lived in a field for a couple weeks or a couple months or a couple years? These guys, you know, take when they go take a bath, it's like putting olive oil in their hair. And then the desert wind blows, and what happens to their hair? The sand sticks where? How long? I'm not trying to be gross, but I want you to get something, like fully get it, because there's a powerful, like, pivot here. Do these guys smell good? Anybody ever hiked the Appalachian Trail? Like, just even a portion of it? I see a couple hands. Okay. The, pe- the through hikers you meet on the Appalachian Trail, they're living out there for six months. I mean, they are a surly crew. It's beautiful, but they're a mess. Jesus, fully God, fully man, comes to earth in the form of a baby, is laying not in a guest room or in a palace or in some special place or an air-conditioned or heated environment. He's actually laid in an animal feedstock where animals drool and slobber and spit and eat. And then he calls and invites who? Do we look good, shepherds? Do we smell good? Okay, let's take it a step further. In uh, Old Testament Mosaic law, so if we went back and read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, primarily Leviticus, there's all these rules and regulations about how you have to bathe. Some of that is like true cleansing, and some of that is ceremonial cleansing. But regardless, you're clean. 
So if we're a shepherd and we're living outside of Jerusalem and outside of Bethlehem in the hills and it's baking hot 100 degrees during the day and it's super cold at night, um, are we able to wash ceremonially or practically? No. So we are a dirty lot. Okay, get that. We are a dirty lot. We do not smell good. Now, if a shepherd tried to show up to the temple, okay, what would the people at the entrance to the temple say? They, somebody said that, unclean. They would, they would literally have stopped them and they would say, whoa, 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 you are unclean. All right, so let's just, let's try to put that in our modern day here for just a second. You pull up into the parking lot at Rolling Grice and you're coming in to get your cup of coffee and we have a greeter out front and they stop you and they say, Bill, you are unclean. You are not welcome here. And how does Bill feel? No, go there just a second. Like, like actually pretend, I know I'm being silly, but pretend somebody stopped you on the way to church and told you you weren't clean and therefore not welcome. You feel? Oof, shame, shame. Here's what I want to propose to you, that the barrier to experiencing the good news of great joy is shame. What in the world is shame? And why is it of all the people that God could have invited to participate in the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is that he would have, have picked society's outcast, the most um, misunderstood, rejected, distrusted group of people um, in Judea at this time was the shepherds. They were not even allowed to come and participate in the temple. They would have been told absolutely no. And that is the very people that God invites all right, now, now pause and step back for a minute. I am convinced that God sent Jesus to illustrate his love, to demonstrate his love, and to communicate his love. Agree or disagree? Okay, if God sent Jesus to illustrate his love, to demonstrate his love, to communicate his love, then who he initiates to first must illustrate, demonstrate, and communicate what? His love. And who did he initiate and invite to participate in this? Who were feeling shame. Okay. All right, now let me uh, soften this for just a second. I'm going to invite you into 2022 Michael Mattis Hart for just a minute. Because some of you are going, what shame? I don't feel shame. I think shame is a very common human emotion. Um, I don't think it's God. I think the enemy brings shame. I think the Holy Spirit convicts. But God will use our own shame to bring us to the cross. Um, so, so let me just tell you a story, and then I'll define a few things, and we'll keep going in our passage this morning. Okay, uh, Abby and I were going out to um, dinner, I don't know, a week or two ago. We were meeting um, a special couple in our lives, a little bit older. Um, we have a lot of respect for them. And so uh, we had a babysitter coming over. Um, Amelia is a type 1 diabetic. She's 5 um, so that means uh, she has to, we have to count um, all the carbohydrates she eats and we have to give her insulin. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing forever thing. Abby has a watch on right now and she's watching her blood sugar even right this second. So um, we were getting ready and we had a babysitter coming over and so um, I was going to feed the kids dinner. 
um, and Abigail's going to go get ready. So I'm feeding the kids dinner, and I'm, I'm very comfortable um, in the kitchen and dinner and kids and all that stuff, so that's no big deal. So I'm making dinner, and I feed them. Um, babysitter comes. I go change and get ready, and then Abby and I leave. Babysitter stays um, with the kids, and Abby and I go to dinner. Well, on our way to dinner, um, Amelia's blood sugar just starts um, uh, climbing, going up and up and up. And um, so we, we arrive at dinner, and we're sitting down with this couple, um, and, and it's, we were there for a, a, to have a significant conversation, actually. Um, and while we're sitting there, we've just gotten seated, I keep on looking over, because I left my, car, my phone in the car. Um, I do that a lot, so it doesn't interrupt me, whatever I'm doing. Um, but I can follow Amelia's blood sugar on my phone, and Abby can on hers. So I left my phone in the car, so I keep looking over at Abby to see what Amelia's blood sugar is doing. So I keep, I'm like helicopter dad. So I keep like leaning over. I keep interrupting our conversation. What's, you know, what's her blood sugar? And Abby, being the strong, independent, you know, woman that she is, looked over at me and went, Michael, I got this. And, and, and probably in that moment, we actually haven't even talked about this, but I imagine that in that moment, what she's feeling is like I'm questioning whether or not she's, she may even be feeling her own little bit of shame, like I'm shaming her, like she doesn't have... Amelia's thing under control or whatever, right? So she, I, we haven't even had that conversation, but she may be feeling that. So I look back to my salad and we keep talking and whatever, and then all of a sudden I'm like, what's going on again? I look over there, what's her blood sugar? And she's like, she gives me this look. And then I do it a third time. And finally, the third time, I'm, I'm getting a little bit more um, in touch with what's going on inside of me. And so the third time it happened, um, I said, uh, babe, that's in front of the air couple. Um, I uh, fed Amelia dinner. And I gave her insulin. And so I'm feeling responsible. And like I failed, which creates a sense of internal shame. So I keep interrupting our dinner because of my shame. Unable to fully engage in the joy of the moment relating to my wife and to this other couple and just laugh and whatever because of my Angels showed up and said, I bring you good tidings. I put King Jesus in a palace or on a throne or lift him up, but I'm actually going to take him from the highest place, God says, and lift him down, put him down all the way into an animal feedstock where animals eat and drool and use the bathroom and it's gross. I am going to break the back of shame in order to lead you into joy. So I'm sitting at this dinner this moment, and I recognize, and I couldn't take it any further, but I, I've been like looking and thinking and studying and asking the Holy Spirit for revelation of my own life over this very thing. But I'm sitting at dinner with Abby, and we're in this moment, and I said, I'm feeling responsible. I feel like I failed. Um, but what I didn't get to was I'm ashamed, but that's what was going on inside of me. <clears throat> so let's, let's define shame a couple more ways because I think the shepherds are living a lifestyle of shame. Um, and I think that's what God is even illustrating to us here that he wants to break. Um, do I have any Star Wars fans in the room? Two or three. Okay, great. You don't have to like Star Wars. This has nothing to do with Star Wars. It's an example, though, that I want to give you very quickly um, because for me, it illustrates the way I feel ashamed. Okay? There's a scene with Darth Vader 
and there's an admiral who did something wrong. I can't even really remember, um, but the admiral did something wrong, and Darth Vader uh, comes in, and he goes, you failed me for the last time, admiral. <laughs> and then guess what the admiral does? He chokes to death. Like he goes, <laughs> it's terrible. It's absolutely horrible. But the scene is so imprinted in my head, and I've begun to recognize when something happens in my life where I feel like a failure, I, I did something wrong, I didn't measure up, whatever, um, I, it's like I almost hear, you've failed me for the last time, Admiral. And, and my emotion is this internal, like, oh, I feel ashamed. Okay, so what I am beginning to recognize is this, and in our marriage and our relationship as I lead a staff team, I'm beginning to recognize this as the beckoning of the Holy Spirit to move through my shame to find joy. Good tidings of great. Oh, it's so good. Lord Jesus, help us. Okay. I am just, let me also make a, a statement here because I think joy is about relationship. Um, and, and as I study Genesis to Revelation, what I see is this fiercely relational God, a God who came and walked with Adam and then Eve in the garden in the cool of the day, a father that wants to commune with you, be intimate with you, speak to you, lead you, guide you. It's this, um, it's this intimate um, love story, love relationship of a God with a people and, and the union that happened. And the entire story of the Bible is how the enemy has come in and broken our connection and relationship with God, okay? And so the, the, the primary, I think, enemy, uh, or tool rather, of the enemy is to keep us um, broken in our relationship with God and therefore broken in our relationship with one another and out of full um, relational connection both with God and with people. Make sense? Okay, and I think that one of his tools to keep us from experiencing great joy is Man, y'all are rolling with me. Let's say that again. One of the tools the enemy uses to keep us from experiencing the great joy of relationship with God and people is shame. Okay, Lord Jesus, would you shame off of us today? I don't love when people say shame on, like watch that. Watch it in yourself. Watch it in others. If you say shame on you, I'm not trying to shame you. But I am saying, like, begin to watch this because enter shame, break relationship. You hear me? So the question becomes, how do we shame off you? How do we move through shame to embrace full relational connection with God and people so that we can experience great joy? Okay. Man, y'all are rolling. Okay. Um, let's, so let's, I, I look shame up. Here's what it says. Um, shame is an unpleasant, self-conscious emotion often associated with negative self-evaluation, motivation to quit, feelings of pain, exposure, distrust, powerlessness, or worthlessness. A painful emotion caused by the awareness that you have done something wrong or foolish, a pervasive and negative emotional state, um, and it kind of goes on and on. So a, a person that, um, somebody that I like to find shame this way and it resonates in my heart, so I'm going to define it this way too. Um, if uh, we were at a big um, party, I'm sure all of you have been at a Christmas party so far this year, right? Okay, if you haven't, maybe you're going or maybe you're gathering with people, whatever. 
Um, but if you were at a big Christmas party of friends and family and whatever, and you walked out of the Christmas party, and everybody, and you shut the door, and everybody inside the party started going, do you believe Michael? Do you believe what he said? Do you believe what he did? Can you believe what he's wearing? You failed me for the last time. What are, you, what are you feeling in that moment? So I, all I can do is tell you what I'm feeling. I, I'm going to get embarrassed and my face is going to get red. Okay? I'm going to have tightness in my chest and I'm going to not want to go where? So where am I going to go? Me and Eeyore. Mm-mm. <laughs> A lot of times, let me also further state this, I think that's shame, that feeling, whatever we're talking about, that's, that's what it is. But a lot of times... Um, what has happened or happening in the room, you may have heard your name, then you heard a couple other things, and then you begin to tell yourself a story in your head, you know, about what's going on in that room, and then you feel, and then you, you hear what I'm saying? So it's not always, that there's, there's probably a, a, a dichotomy there that we could wrestle out later, but if we define shame that way, then let's, let's go back to um, the shepherds, and let's read through this, and let's then see if we can make some application um, at the end of that time. Okay, we are in verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. So, you know, if you're taking notes today, why did God choose the shepherds? I think because it's a statement about who the gospel was intended to reach. Very simply. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Why is this sign important? Let me say it like this. If the shepherd showed up at someone's house because they are unclean, would they be allowed in the house? Could they have gone in to see the baby? No, no, no. Like, get that, drink that, like, feel it. So the, the, even the thing that the angel is saying is going to be the sign is that you're going to be allowed in, and it's not only are you going to be allowed in, it's going to be a place in which you're comfortable. It's going to be in an animal uh, stable, and this baby is laid in a feed manger, all the things. So this is the sign that this is the Messiah because he is welcoming a group of people that are ashamed and rejected, not full of joy, and he is calling them uh, into joy through shame, through pain, through rejection to experience true uh, triumphant joy. So the sign is going to be you're actually allowed in. That's what that means. That's what that means. You are actually not going to be called unclean and told you stink and you need to go away. You're going to be allowed in. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. So what does that mean? A bunch of angels showed up. They're all singing, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven on, uh, and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. 
the angels are saying, you lowly shepherds that aren't even allowed um, into the temple, that aren't even allowed in to see a child when he's been born, that aren't even allowed into a clean or all the rabbinic traditions, um, you lowly shepherds are now not only being accepted, you're being welcomed, you're being called, and I'm going to bypass all of these other people that I could have invited, and I'm going to bring you. Not only that, all of the great company of heaven appears to King Herod, to Rome, to all the hoity-toity in Jerusalem, to a field full of stinky shepherds. What I'm also proposing to you is if we're honest, all of us in our humanity, we can clean it up, you can dress it up, you can change it, you can fix it. You, but at some point, you begin to recognize, Lord, apart from your filling and intervening power in my life, I am broken and cannot change. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. In their shame, could they have stayed out in the fields? In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if a couple shepherds stayed. It doesn't say. We don't know how many. We don't know who went. We don't know who stayed. But they're invited by God to move through their shame, to move through their rejection, to find great joy in relationship with God and with people. Verse 16. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. If you're taking notes, number two, why the shepherds as a testimony that Christ is the good shepherd simple. David's 23rd Psalm. We could go on and on with that. Verse 17, when they had seen him, Jesus, the Messiah, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Were they amazed at the words alone? No, 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 no. They were amazed at something else. What were they amazed at? That God and angels would have appeared to a group of people rejected by men and women and uh, revealed who the Messiah was to them and then invited them to take part in something that all of Israel has been waiting thousands of years to experience. And God bypasses all of the others in order to welcome this group of rejected people in. I think the third point, if you're taking notes, is why shepherds? Because it, there is a call for each of us to know Christ personally. In John 10, Jesus talks about, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. Verse 18, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Do you think Mary felt rejected in a animal feed stable? Would you, as a mom? You had to lay your baby in a feed stock place. Would you feel like God had rejected you? Maybe. Would you feel like your husband had failed you? Maybe. Would you feel like you'd failed? Maybe. I mean, go there a second. Were people talking about Mary? It's the same story. It's the same shame. Could people, not just could people, were the people around Mary talking about this girl who got pregnant out of wedlock? You better believe it. Were they judging her? 
You better believe it. Was she, could she have been tempted to be full of shame? Yeah. But I think somehow she treasured all this in her heart, rejected shame, walked through shame to find joy. But I don't think for a minute she could have sat in joy unless she chose to feel and acknowledge and work through the shame. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. These guys are so excited. We are accepted into the presence of the Messiah. We have been welcomed. We were not rejected. We were not hated. Fourth thing, if you're taking notes, why the shepherds as a prophetic symbol that Jesus would become the Lamb of God. But here's what I want to get to. It's the crux Why shepherds? Why did he bring the shepherds? To break the consequences of sin, which is shame and rejection for all people once and for all. You and I do not have to live in sin or shame or rejection anymore. We're invited to live in the freedom of Christ, the joy of Christ. But one of the things that I'm learning, if I can't sit at that restaurant table and begin to acknowledge what's truly going inside of me and then hand it to Jesus, exchanging sort of my uh, shame, my guilt, my whatever, um, for his righteousness, uh, then I'm unable to experience great joy. There's a number of places we could go here, and I don't think I'm going to open it all up. <clears throat> but I want to tell you a, a, a story as we close here, and then I want to give you a couple of real practicals. Uh, Ezra, our um, two-year-old, has real severe asthma right now. And um, he's on this breathing machine for like an hour and a half a day. And um, I don't know anything about asthma. I come from a brother that had uh, type 1 diabetes. We have two daughters with type 1 diabetes. I know all about that. I can get up and teach on that. But Abby struggled with asthma as a child. And so Ezra has this asthma. And he's, um, he's plugged into this breathing machine twice a day to take an inhalable steroid and a, um, an albuterol. And one of the things I looked at Abby and said a couple some weeks ago is, Um, There is an element of life right now that is gray. You got to go with me here. It's gray. In other words, there's some color in life that for six or eight different reasons, there's some color that has drained out of life, and I'm seeing the world a little bit gray. And I've been asking the Lord, why am I not experiencing greater joy? Why am I not not experiencing great joy? joy, even in pain, even in sorrow. So the other night, um, it was about 2.30 in the morning, and I wake up with this nightmare. Now, I believe some dreams are from God. I believe some dreams aren't. I think you have to be very careful with dreams because I've seen people do all manner of things saying it's from God. I don't think this was a God dream and that God was speaking to me, but I think what this was was a revelation of what was going on inside Michael's heart. And I do believe that as we enter into more full relationship with God, we also know ourselves more fully. And he allows us to see ourselves and walk through who we are to find rich healing in Jesus. Okay? 
So I'm sleeping in my dream. Ezra and I are swimming out in the ocean. Um, I, I don't, we might have been surfing. We might have just been swimming. I'm very comfortable in the ocean. But the water was murky. And I turned away from Ezra for just a minute. And I turned back. And he'd sunken beneath the, the water. And I start yelling. Like, I'm frantic. I can't find him. I can't find him. And so I'm swimming down. And I can't find him. And finally, in the murkiness, I see him. And I reach down. I don't grab his arm or his leg. or you know, I, I reach down and I grab the spot that his little breathing mask goes on. Which is right here. It's like this. And I pull Ezra up right here. Just his little breathing mask. And I pull him up in the dream. Up to the surface of the water. And he goes... <sighs> And I put him on my shoulder in the water, and he coughs and chokes and throws up and then starts breathing again. And I go, and I wake up at 2.30 in the middle of the night like, <gasps> and we have this little camera in our room, and I run to the camera. I jump out of bed and run to the camera to look at Ezra and listen to him breathing, and I'm like, <gasps> because I'm afraid that I am responsible and I'm going to fail. You hear me? to watch this little guy night and day, moment by moment, and, and I'm going to let him slip beneath the waves so that he can't breathe. What I began to think about in those next days is if we seal off part of our heart, in other words, I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel sometimes even what's going on inside of me. But if I choose to reject, to understand and feel what is happening inside of me in the journey, I will simultaneously seal off my ability to feel and experience the great joy of the Lord. Like, go there just a second. The goal is not that we live in shame or we live in pain or we live in difficulty, but I'm telling you the pathway to live a life of exultant great joy is to begin to acknowledge what is going on inside of you, recognize it, hand it to Jesus, um, and then take uh, from Jesus uh, his great joy. You follow me? Uh, let me, um, Matt Beatty, can you come up here? And worship team, come on. You can come on out here. We're going to demonstrate something as we tie this together. Okay. When you come to Christ, you recognize I am bankrupt. I don't measure up. I can't, I can't earn my way to God. And you come and you actually exchange your brokenness for the life and righteousness of Christ. Make sense? Michael's brokenness. Michael exchanges, I give to Jesus my brokenness, and I put on the life and the joy and the peace and the freedom and the hope of Christ Jesus. That's what coming to Christ is, okay? Now listen to me one more step, because most Christians, we miss this. In our journey, we're going to have these moments where we feel full of shame, full of guilt, 
full of failure, full of what if my child dies? There's people in here actually who've lost kids. And in those moments, whatever you're feeling, you have to begin to go back to the cross and again, take off your and exchange it for the life of Christ. So in other words, this is an exchange that happens once when you give your life to King Jesus, but then it's an exchange that if you're living vibrantly, full of the Spirit, and if you want to live a life that is more than just gray, sort of, um, you know, if you want to live an in color, full of life, full of joy, full of hope, full of peace, full of the Holy Spirit, life in Christ Jesus, then you've got to get good at the exchange, okay? Because you come in and you go, I'm in pain, I'm disappointed, I'm hurting, I'm facing something, I'm struggling with something. And you can acknowledge that authentically, deeply, genuinely, and you risk courageously to be vulnerable again with God and with a group of humans. And I'm telling you, in that place is the place where great relationship can happen. And when great relationship happens, you will be full of joy. It's not circumstantial. It is not circumstantial. couple of thoughts to risk moving through shame, moving through pain to find joy in relationship with God and people. How many of you are married? Risk saying I love you first. Just be vulnerable. Well, you don't feel like it. Some of you might have a mom or a dad who won't say I love you back. Be vulnerable. Be courageous. Say, I love you. Risk it. You can't selectively numb feelings. I can't numb my fear over Ezra, my fear over Amelia, my fear and even hurt that God has allowed some of the things he's allowed in my life. But I can acknowledge it. I can exchange it. I can repent of it. I can put on the righteousness of Christ and I can stand up and go, I am full of the joy of the Lord in spite of what's happening in my life. And I trust him because he is a good father. And I'm gonna stand up before the heavenlies, before the people I know and I go, he's good. Not because I'm hiding it, not because I'm being inauthentic, not because I'm even lying to myself and to you, but because I've truly come to the place where I go, I've exchanged my brokenness, my shame, my failure, my guilt for the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And I am learning to abide in his presence and I'm learning to experience daily great joy in relationship with him and the people I love most. I'd say to you, risk being rejected. Do something that, I mean, start to risk. If you want great relationships, risk. I've told you a lot of times that I have a morning declarations. One of the things I say in my morning declarations is I am going to reject the comfortable today. I love comfort. I'm gonna reject the comfortable today in order to risk deep, intimate relationship with God. Christmas is not about gifts and trees and lights. I like those things. We've got beautiful trees in our home. No problem. But it's about finding freedom and joy and relationship with God. It's about passing through pain and passing through shame to enter into this deep, significant relationship with Him. 
go back to me sitting at the table at the restaurant. As I acknowledged what I was feeling, said it to Abby, repented it, exchanged, put on the righteousness of Christ, I went, okay, I trust you, Jesus, with Amelia. Her blood sugar. I got on my knees when I had that dream with Ezra, and I went, Lord Jesus, I'm carrying this so heavy. I'm panicked. I'm living in the fear of failure that I'm going to lose my son, that he's not going to be able to breathe. Would you forgive me? And I exchanged my brokenness for the life of Christ. This Christmas, what if we were courageous enough to look past all the stuff and the frustrations and petty things and disappointment even with our families and maybe spouses and maybe ourselves, maybe even our kids, and to risk finding real joy and to risk being courageous enough and honest enough and vulnerable enough to fight for, not against, but to fight for deep relationship with him and people in such a way that we experience great joy everlasting. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Shame off you. Let's stand and worship the Lord together. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.